Turn, please, brethren, to the book of Romans and the chapter number 7. Book of Romans and the chapter number 7. I want to thank the Reverend Harris and the session here for the invite uh, for, uh, to speak at the, the conference today. Uh, someone joked with me throughout the week uh, that usually in conferences like this, you have the sandwich and, of course, there's the two bits of bread the start at the end, and then you have the meat in the middle. And my response to them was, well, every sandwich needs butter. And I just feel like the butter, to be honest with you, um, this, this afternoon. But uh, uh, we trust that um, what we have to say will be an encouragement um, to you. I was thinking about the, the subject that I've been given, and obviously that the Reverend Baker is, is very, very ably, and we thank God for um, the Lord speaking to us through him. But he's very, very ably. Uh, set forth the subject of gazing at the holiness of God. And it's really my job, in a sense, to bring us back down to earth, uh, to grapple with our own sinfulness. And then finally, uh, the Reverend McKee is going to help us. How do we grow? How do we grow in this holiness? So um, we're grappling with our sin, grappling with this thought that God is set apart, God is distinct, that he, as, as Reverend Baker has said, that he's morally pure, distinctly holy, uh, but we, of course, we're not. <laughs> we grapple with our own sin. And as I saying about this, I, I could have, have approached this in a, a more topical fashion, uh, the way the Reverend Baker and, and I believe uh, the Reverend McKee will, will approach this and take you around a whirlwind of some passages. Um, but as I was praying about this, really, this week, the Lord has just, um, I think, just zoomed me in onto this great passage in Romans chapter 7. And here we have uh, the struggle of all struggles for every Christian. Just the fact that, that I am saved, God has set me apart, and we are set apart to be holy. But we struggle. We're not always holy. And if you know yourself any length of time, then you will grapple with that. And I want to really just bring us into the, the ring, this, as it were, this afternoon, brethren. And we trust that as we even go through, really what Romans 7 is, is Paul's struggle. It's Paul's grappling with his sin. And as we grapple with him, as we don't fight uh, with him in the sense that we oppose him, but as we join the battle with him, I trust that we'll be encouraged as we just take a, a look and, and a, a walk and travel through Romans 7 with the Apostle Paul. I'm going to read from verse 7 to the end of the chapter, so a lengthier reading, but we trust that the Lord will speak to us uh, from his word. Romans 7 and verse 7 to the end. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? God forbid. Nay, I had not known sin but by the law. For I had not known lust except the law had said, Thou shalt covet. But sin taking occasion by the commandment wrought in me all manner of concupiscence, for without the law sin was dead. For I was alive without the law once. But when the commandment came, sin revived, and I died. And the commandment which was ordained to life, I found to be unto death. For sin, taking occasion by the commandment, deceived me, and by it slew me. Wherefore the law is holy, and the commandment holy, and just, and good. Was then that which is good made death unto me? God forbid. But sin, that it might appear sin, working death in me by that which is good, that sin by the commandment might become exceeding sinful. 
For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. For that which I do, I allow not. For what I would, that do I not. But what I hate, that do I. If then I do that which, it, which I would not, I consent unto the law, that it is good. Now then, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. For I know that in me, that is, in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. For the good which I would, I do not, but the evil which I would not, that I do. Now if I do that I would not, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. I find then a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man, but I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind, and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members. O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, with the mind I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. Amen. Amen. Let's just pray briefly, brethren, and then we'll consider this chapter and enter into this subject of grappling with our own sinfulness. Father, we come to thee today and we thank you already for what we have heard, what we have feasted upon. Thank you, Lord, that as we have been reminded that there is one who is absolutely, infinitely holy, as thy word reminds us that no man can approach thereunto. And yet we thank you for the one who was holy and yet he was undefiled and separate from sin. And we thank you that it is through Jesus Christ, the holy man of God, that we can approach unto thee. We realize, Lord, that in this world, we can say with Paul that in us dwelleth no good thing. And we often lament, like Paul there in verse 24, O wretched man that I am. And yet we thank you that as we have been singing, that we are on the victor's side, that we can say with Paul here in Romans that Sin no longer hath dominion over me. We thank you, Lord, not merely for the old man that we have been delivered from, but for the new man that we put on. And we pray today that you might enable us all to put on more the new man, which is recreated after righteousness and holiness. We thank you, Lord, for all that you've died to make us be. We thank you, Lord, that you came to make us live. And as we live unto thee, that you then cause us to live fruitful and fragrant and holy lives. And we pray then, as we would enter into this struggle with the Apostle Paul, that you will just help us. Here we are, as the hymnist said, just a soul struggling on to heaven. And yet we thank you that you have given us at least the grace to struggle on. And so we pray then, help us to go to war, as it were, with the old man, to put to flight that which is sinful and ungodly, in us, help us, Lord, to be like Paul who said, I die daily, and to awake to righteousness. Encourage us, Lord. We realize that we do live in a sinful and a fallen world, in an impure world. 
And yet we thank you that you've died to conform us unto the image of one who is all pure and all holy. So help us in that war. Help us to war a good warfare, to fight a good fight like Paul did, and my to endure to the end. Bless this passage to us. Uh, encourage us, Lord, and strengthen us for that battle of grappling with our own sinfulness. In Jesus' name. Amen. Verses 24 and 25 of Romans 7, towards the end of the chapter, the last two verses, Paul said, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, with the mind I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh the law of sin. Robert Louis Stevenson wrote a very, very famous book in 1886. Uh, I'm sure that some of you will be aware of that book, or at least uh, the contents or the, the theme of that book. Uh, the book was called The Strange Case of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. So I'm sure that some of you, when you converse with people, you talk about Jekyll and Hyde. Well, the book is, is all really about a medical doctor named uh, Dr. Henry Jekyll. And he was a very, very mild-mannered man, a meek man, a quiet man, an unassuming man. Not a, not a godly man per se, but someone who, who was not, um, not known for, for being extreme, etc., and, and just known for, in society, as I said, a, a mild and, and meek man. But this doctor, he developed a potion. And this potion, as he took it, it made him a completely different man. It made him become, quite literally, Mr. Hyde. Now, Mr. Hyde was the exact opposite of Dr. Jekyll. And... Whilst Jekyll was a mild man, a big man, a well-mannered man, and, and, and a, that kind of individual, yet Mr. Hyde was a cruel man. In actual fact, he was a cold-blooded murderer and killer. And the story, as I've said, it's, it's all about that struggle of Jekyll and Hyde. That struggle of, of who is it really that's, that, that, that is in this body? Is it the, the, the Dr. Jekyll or is it the Mr. Hyde? And someone actually asked Robert Louis Stevenson, what was it that influenced him writing that book of the struggle between really this, this good man and, and the bad man, all battling for, for possession of one body, of, of one soul, so to speak. And he said this. He said he was raised in a strict Presbyterian home and he looked inside himself and he always struggled with the beast that lived within him. He always struggled with the beast that lived within him. Now, brethren, you are here, in a sense, and you're here because you struggle with the beast within you. You struggle with sin. You grapple with sin. And that's exactly where the Apostle Paul was in Romans chapter 7. We have already learned, very, very ably, as I have said from the Reverend Baker, that God is holy, holy, holy. That ethically, morally, he is pure, he is holy. And yet, majestically, he is also set apart. He is distinct. But of course, as I said, we, we come back down to earth whenever we look at ourselves because as he is holy, as he is undefiled, as he is separate, as he is distinct, you and I, we look at our own lives. And we realize that very, very often we're not holy. Yes, there are times when we have that, that, that Dr. Jekyll-like complexion about us, but there are other times if we're brutally honest. There's the Mr. Hyde that creeps out. 
And that's what we really find here, as I've said, in, in Romans chapter 7. This, this struggle that the Apostle Paul is, is entering into. Verse 14, we know that the law is spiritual, but I'm carnal. Or as it really has in the original text, the idea of earthly, of sensual. I am of earth. I am sold under sin. And we must remember that God commands you and I to be holy. In light of the fact that he is holy. That well-known text, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 15. But as he which is, hath called you is holy, be you also holy in all manner of conversation. And I'm sure you're aware that the term conversation, the original text has the idea of conduct. So you see what Peter's saying here. And remember, who's Peter speaking to in 1 Peter? He's speaking to struggling Christians. He's speaking to believers who, who watch their loved ones be, be slaughtered by Nero, who are, who are watching them being fed to the lions. There's reports even in history of, of Nero taking tar and pouring it over Christians. And individuals are watching this and looking at it. And, and, and you know what it would be like if, if you were there. You watch your fellow man, your fellow believer suffering. And of course there's that, that sense of, of rage welling up within you. We must do something. And what is Peter writing to to, to, to really help, he's, he's, he's saying, look, I know you're struggling and you're warring. And yet this is how you are to live. You are to be holy in all manner as you struggle, as you suffer. God is holy and so you are to be holy in your life. It's also good to keep in mind that, that as I said in prayer, this is why Christ has died. He's died just to save you from your sin legally but also gradually to rid you of your sin, experientially. So legally, our accounts are settled, our names are written in heaven. Christ has legally taken the guilt of your sin. As you, you're here today, you, you, your, your title, as it were, it's, it's there. You, you're, you're innocent before the very courts of heaven. You're innocent as you sit. But experientially, you still war with the presence of sin in your life. But why has Christ died? Romans 8 verse 29. For whom he did foreknow, he did also predestinate. Why? To be conformed to the image of his Son. Christ has died to gradually conform you onto his dear image. To make you more like him. As the word conform really has the idea of being transformed. It has within it the, the idea of, of the metamorphosis or the evolution of, of the caterpillar to the butterfly. The change of, 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 of form. We are gradually to change. We are gradually to be conformed more to the image of Christ. And yet, whilst Christ works in us by his spirit through the word, there is the struggle that still goes on. Paul writes of it in Galatians 5, verse 17. The flesh lusteth against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. These are contrary the one to the other, so that ye cannot do the things that you would. There's that Jekyll and Hyde syndrome, isn't it? Within us. You have the spirit. And he is wooing you. He is pushing you along. And yet you have the flesh. And as it makes it abundantly clear there. These two are contrary. Bipolar opposites to each other. So that verse 17 of Galatians 5. You cannot do the things that you would or you want to. There are times when you can't live the life that you want to live. Why? Because the flesh is lusting against the spirit. 
Well, Romans 7 is really Scripture's version of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Here Paul is describing that internal battle that you and I face on a daily basis. The two natures that dwell within the one body. Romans 6 verse uh, verse 16 actually uh, asks us the question. Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey, whether to sin unto death or to obedience unto righteousness. And so Paul He's asking the question, who am I going to obey? Am I going to obey the the law of sin, the old man? Or am I going to put on the new man? Am I going to, to gradually grow in grace and gradually live that life of of holiness? Here we have the struggle then between we, we, we know what God wants us to be, we know what Christ has died to make us. But here experientially we know what we still are. John John MacArthur put it this way, the spirit-led life is a life of conflict because it is in constant combat with the old ways of the flesh that continue to tempt and seduce the believer. Your life is a combat. It's a battle. Yes, Christ has won the war, and I'll be dealing with that at the end. We will ultimately live, we will ultimately exist free from sin. Whenever we have not merely our souls, but also our bodies free from the presence of sin. But here in this earth, we live lives of conflict. Grant Richardson also said that there is a spiritual titanic tug of war that takes place in every believer. Once a person comes to know Christ, he enters a spiritual struggle. The moment you came to know Christ, yes, he has dealt with all of your sin. Legally. But yes, in the flesh, you you started a struggle. A struggle that takes you gradually heavenward and will finish in glory. But at the same time, it's still a very real struggle. So we want to look at that today. Grappling with our own sinfulness, I suppose you could say, in light of the holiness of God. And I just want to be a bit more sermonic, for want of a better way of putting it, and just kind of go through the second half of Romans 7 And really grapple with our sinfulness. Get in the ring with Paul. Firstly, I want you to see that there is a reality you cannot evade. A reality you cannot evade. Verses 17 and 18. Now then, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good, I find not. As I read these verses, a, a story came to mind of Charles Spurgeon. And Spurgeon was preaching at a conference. And he was preaching at a conference with another man who had different beliefs in terms of personal holiness. And when I say different beliefs, what I mean is that this other man, he believed in the erroneous view of sinless perfectionism. In other words, that you could get to a state where you live a life in this earth free from sin as you are kept in the love of God. And Spurgeon preached, and then this man preached after him. And of course, well, there were different and conflicting views. And so Spurgeon set out to try and prove that the man was erroneous in his teaching. And the next day, the next morning, it was a, a couple of days conference, and the next morning they were sitting at breakfast, and the man had just got his breakfast, and he sat down, and Spurgeon got the jug of milk. And this is true. He got the jug of milk, and he poured it over the man. 
And of course the man's response showed that even he <laughs> did not live a life that was perfect. And we'll leave it there. And Spurgeon actually, he, he used that. And he, he showed that this man, he, he doesn't live a perfect life. Now the Paul here, he's really dealing with that reality that, that there is still the presence of sin in our life. And as I've called it, we need to face this. This is a reality that we need to face. It's a reality that the Roman believers need to face as well. It would be lovely if you and I, the moment we were saved, became perfect. And yes, God calls us to be holy. But the reality is so far from the truth. And the start of this chapter, Paul starts it off very, very interestingly. And I just want to, to show you this. Verses 1 to 6, he, he really shows that, that when we become Christians, we are joined, we are united to Jesus Christ. And he uses the image of marriage. If you look at uh, verse 4 there, the, the chapter, uh, Romans 7, My brethren, you also become dead to the law by the body of Christ, that ye should be married to another, even to him who is raised from the dead. So he speaks here of, of the fact that we are married to Jesus Christ. We are united to him. We are united to the one who was perfect, the one who kept the law of God, and the one who rendered himself as a sacrifice unto God the Father. And he states that we're dead to the law. Now, this is important now. Before I go through this struggle, this is important that you understand this. We are dead to the law. What does that mean? It means dead to the law's consequences. Because we are joined to, we are united, we are married to Jesus Christ. We are dead to the consequences, the penalty of sin. But as Paul goes on to explain in the rest of the chapter, we are not dead to the presence of sin. Not dead to the fact that, that sin is still very much present. We're married to Christ, we are dead to sin's consequences... But it's still there. Sin's still there experientially. Now, I mentioned verse 14. Look at it again. We know that the law is spiritual, but I'm carnal, sold under sin. What is Paul saying here? Well, the word carnal, as I said, means earthly or fleshly. But the expression sold under sin, it's a very, very hard one to really understand. Because, because as we have understood, Christ has died to make us holy. And Paul is speaking here as a believer... He's not speaking here as, as a, a sinner unsaved. He's speaking here as a believer, someone who is dead to the law by the body of Christ. So this, these verses, I should say, these verses are for the believer. Some, some say that this is Paul before he's saved, but this is Paul as a believer. This is his struggle in sin, or with sin, sorry. And he says here that, that I am carnal, sold under sin. The expression sold under sin, it has the idea of the slave but the slave under the influence of a bad master. And the idea is that that master is influencing him for ill, for bad, for, for not good. So the thought here is, he, Paul's saying that, that I, yes, I, I belong to Jesus Christ. He's mentioned that in, in chapter 6. Uh, well, we've looked at that already. That, that, that legally he is joined to him. Legally he is, he is married to Jesus Christ. But... But at the same time, he's sold under sin. He is under the influence still of, a, of another bad taskmaster. Paul is essentially saying in this verse, as he takes us through then, begins to take us through this struggle, I'm fleshly, I'm earthly, sin still influences me in my life. And he goes to develop it further. 
Verse 17. Now then it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. When he says it's no more I that do it here, he's speaking of him as a new man. It's speaking of him having the, the law of God written on his heart, entering into the new covenant, as Jeremiah 31 speaks of, having the, the law written on our hearts. And yet, it's not I that do it, verse 17, but it's sin that dwells in me. I don't want to do it. That's what he's saying, but, but sin's there. Sin's present. The reality of sin is still present in my life. Verse 18, he takes this a step further. I know that in me, that's in my flesh, dwells no good thing. You see there, he highlights it again. It's in my flesh. It's not me and the new man. The new man's warring, and, and we'll deal with that in greater detail. It's not me and the new man. It's the old man. But the old man's still there. <laughs> Stain's still very much present in my life. You see, legally, child of God, you are perfect now. But experientially, you're far from it. Experientially, in your life, you all, we all sin. We all come short of that holy standard that God sets for us. Now, he does command us to be holy. And yet, the reality is that at times, we're, we're not. We can apply this in so many different facets and, and aspects of your life. Ephesians 5 tells us what we should be at work, and yet, you know as well as I do, that we're, we're not always what we should be. Ephesians 5 tells us what we should be at home, and yet you and I know we're not always what we should be at home. All of those relationships, whether it's husband, whether it's a, a child, no matter the relationship, as an employee, as an employer as well, we're sin there. We would, we would love to be perfect, but the reality of sin is still very much there. 1 John 1 verse 8, uh, a text I'm sure that many of us will be familiar with this morning. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If someone says today that they are free from the presence of sin, then you're deceived. That's not my word. That's what the holy word of God says. You, you have deceived. You have deceived yourself. You've deceived yourself. There's a wonderful illustration of this in, in Paul, of Paul in Philippians chapter 3 where he writes to the believers at Philippi. In verse 21, I don't know if you've ever thought about it in, in this way, but it speaks there of that wonderful change that the resurrection body uh, will, will be in terms of, in contrast to our, our old bodies. But Philippians 3:21, who shall change, now listen to it, our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto his Glorious body. You see how Paul describes his, his body, his flesh? <laughs> vile. Rotten. Our vile body. And yet, and yet, whilst, as I've said, God, God calls us to be holy as I'm holy, we're trying to do this <laughs> in a vile body. In a body where there still is very much the, the presence of, of sin. John MacArthur, he, he speaks of, and I must define and explain this term, but he speaks of our unredeemed humanness as Christians. Now, what does that mean? Because Christ, when he dies, he redeems us. But Romans 8 teaches us that 
One day we will enjoy, we will experience the redemption of the body. The redemption of the body. And so in a sense he's he's saying that in this world, in the flesh, we have an unredeemed humanness. An unredeemed humanness in the sense that there's, there's still this part of it which is yet to enter into all that God has experienced for us because our bodies one day will be changed and will be redeemed. And you could really just write that term over these verses, verses 17 and 18. This is Paul speaking about his unredeemed humanness. And so when we comprehend God's holiness, you realize your own sinfulness. As Reverend Baker mentioned that great portion in Isaiah chapter 6, our logical conclusion is, woe is me, for I am undone. And, And notice how Isaiah puts it. Before he thinks about everybody else's sin. Before he says, I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. He says, I'm a man of unclean lips. It's me, Lord. It's me. When he surveys how holy, how matchless, how set apart God is. He says, woe is me, for I'm undone. And the term in the original of, for, for undone, it has the idea of being cut off. I deserve to be cut off. I deserve to be condemned. When I survey how holy God is. You know we're all like the wee boy who kicked his sister in the shins and pulled her hair as well. The wee boy was pulled aside by his mum. Christian family. And the mum trying to encourage the the little boy. She said son why did you let the devil do that to your, your sister? And his response was this. Well it was the devil's suggestion for me to pull her hair. But the kicking of her shins was all my idea. It was all my idea. You know, if we're honest with ourselves, folks, we all have that little tyrant within, the beast within, the reality of sin. And so there is the reality that we cannot evade, but we want to look secondly now with you at the fact that there is a hostility that you must endure. A hostility you must endure. And I trust that you see the logical follow-on of this from what we have mentioned in the early parts of of Romans chapter 7. We are married to Christ, and as we're married to Christ, we are dead to the law. And yet whilst we're dead to the law, legally, experientially, we, we still have sin. And as we still face up to this reality, we then come to the logical conclusion that we war, that we struggle as Christians, as we put on the new man, we go to war with the old man. And that's essentially what verse 19 and following is is really highlighting. Verse 19, for the good that I would, I do not. But the evil which I would not, that I do. I want to do good. And remember, this is Paul. This is Paul. And you think of all the good that Paul did. All of the preaching of the gospel. All of the helping, all of the practical, all of the spiritual ministry that that Paul rendered unto God and expressed through the various local churches in which he was he was helping or ministering to. Oh Paul, he, he did an awful lot of good. He he exhibited an awful lot of righteousness in his life, didn't he? And yet he he admits himself that that I want to do more good, Lord. But I will not. I cannot. And the bad that I don't want to do, I do. 
Now, verse 20, he, he shows us why. He highlights why, why he faces this. Verse 20, it is no more I that do it, but the sin that dwelleth in me. So he gets to the very heart of it here. It's not me, Lord, but it's, it's sin. It's the sin that dwells within me. Sin is present, but he wants to do good. He wants to be holy, yet there's the presence of evil there as well. And so he goes on then to verse 21 and 22, explain this a little bit more. I find then a law that when I want to do good, evil's present within me. Verse 22, I delight in the law of God after the inward man. And so here's where we see the, that new bent of Paul. It is his delight to do good. He wants to do it. And that new law, that new principle of life has been, that has been implanted into him by regeneration, it's there. And he's responding to it. And yet, and yet he still does evil. As, if, as he wrote later to the church at Ephesus in Ephesians 4 verse 24, put on the new man which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. And so here he is, he's trying to do that. He's trying to put on the new man. And the reason it has the idea of literally putting on a new set of clothes. And so he's, he's warring, he's struggling with this. He's trying to externally display his righteousness. Through internally having that, that new man being renewed every single day. That's what he's, what he's getting at here in verse 22. I delight in the law of God after the inward man. I'm seeking to renew myself. I'm seeking to take the holy oracles, the lively oracles, and apply them to my life by the Spirit of God. And yet, that law is still there, verse 21. Evil is still present within. Verse 23, he, he, he just kind of, as he's getting now to the end of his, his, his dealing with this struggle, and he says this, I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind. And the phrase here, Warring against the law of my mind. In the original text, there's the idea of a city. Think, for example, of Jerusalem. The days when Sennacherib, the Assyrians, essentially encamped around the city of Jerusalem. They had all of the defences up. Those, the great walls, of course, were erected. And yet this city is being besieged by the enemy. And that's really the, the idea, the imagery employed here in verse 23. I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind. Sin, it's like it's, like it's trying to, to take me. Here I am, I'm this defense city. I'm trying to renew myself by the help of God, by the Spirit of God, day by day with the law. And yet there is that, that enemy that's encamped there all the time, trying to take over me. Trying to make me crumble. And so Paul then sums up this portion of this hostility that we must endure with verse 24. O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of death? And the, the phrase here, O wretched man that I am, the, the phrase has the idea of someone who's exhausted in battle. And that's why I've taken you through those verses. I've walked you through them. But as he comes to the end of it all, this warring with, with, with himself. And he comes to the end and he said, I'm exhausted in this battle. Oh, wretched man that I am. I've, I have struggled. I have struggled with sin. And I'm exhausted. No, he's not giving up. He's not defeated. He's not defeated. But he's exhausted in the battle nonetheless. 
And child of God, be encouraged by this because, because the fact that you struggle with sin is actually an evidence of your regeneration. It is an evidence of the fact that new life is there. It's an evidence of the fact that, that you are seeking to, to respond to the, the call of God to be holy because he is holy. It's an evidence of, of the fact that, that I, I know where I should be and I'm struggling to get there. <laughs> if you're wrestling on towards heaven today and, and you see your own sin, it's a discouraging thing. Of course it is. Be encouraged by it as well. Be encouraged because that is actually something that you can use as an assurance of salvation. Those here are maybe younger in the faith. And what does the accuser do? As, as we sang, the accuser points at all of the ills that we have done. And he says to you, well, if you think that, or if you say that, or if you do that, well, are you saved at all? And yet the very fact that you're struggling and grappling is an evidence that the new man's there. It's an evidence that you are beginning to, to put on the new man. <laughs> Martin Luther said that there was one pope that he feared and it was Pope Self. Pope Self. There was the Martin Luther rising up within. Seeking to take him to task. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15 verse 34. Remember that great portion. And we're coming to think about this now in a few moments. That great portion where the body which is sown in corruption will be raised in incorruption. What did he say in light of the fact that we are one day going to be free from the very presence of sin? 1 Corinthians 15, 34. Awake to righteousness and sin not. Waken up. Liven up to righteousness. Respond to that call to be holy. And go to war. (laughs) And struggle. Just a few verses before that he said in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 31. By protest, I protest by rejoicing which I have in Christ Jesus, I die daily. You see what he's getting at there. One day I'm going to be free from the very existence of sin in this body. This body that he's just said, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of death? He said, I die daily. In light of the fact that one day I will be perfect, I die daily. I die daily. Sum all this up, Paul said in Colossians 3, 9 and 10, seeing that you have put off the old man with his deeds, put on the new man. And that's that daily struggle that you have every, that we all have, by the way, every single day of our lives. It's to die daily. It's to take off the old man <laughs> and to put on the new man. Dennis the Menace disobeyed his mum one time and she put him in a timeout. and as he sat down in a chair facing the wall he said this, this to his mum he said you know my problem my problem is this I am not good at being bad I'm just bad at being good <laughs> just bad at being good and you know sometimes as believers we're not that great at being good <laughs> and so we need to die daily don't we we struggle struggle And so there is the reality that you cannot evade, the hostility you must endure. Notice then with me lastly, there is a ministry you will enjoy. We're not left to ourselves as we go to war. We're not left to ourselves as we 
as we wrestle against the unholy trinity of the world, the flesh and the devil. There's the holy trinity obviously, but there's the unholy trinity that we all wrestle with. We're not left alone. And this is where we end in verse 25. I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, with the mind I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. As we come to this, to a close in this chapter, I want you to see that in this ministry, in this help that we receive, there is a prospect. And the prospect is the first part of verse 25. I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now remember, this is following on from verse 24. What does verse 24 tell us? It speaks of that wretched man that I am. Remember, who shall deliver me? Who shall deliver me from this body of death? So Paul's talking to his soul here and he's asking himself the question, who's going to deliver me from this sinful body that I have? Who's going to deliver me from the very presence of sin? And he answers himself in verse 25, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now what's he getting at here? Although it's not apparent, he's getting at his resurrection body. And the commentators are virtually unanimous in that thought. Who's going to deliver me from the presence of sin? Jesus Christ my Lord. And so he's encouraging himself as he wars against the flesh and the world and sin. He's encouraging himself in this fact that Jesus Christ ultimately one day will deliver me from the very presence of sin when he returns to earth and he gives me a brand new sinless holy body. Or as he described it in verse 21 of Philippians 3, that glorious, glorious body, that change. And so there's this prospect that that encourages Paul in this struggle. And if you actually look at the note of Romans 8 then, it's much more triumphant, isn't it? What shall we say then? Who shall separate us from, from these things? Nothing shall separate me from the love of God. More than conquerors through Jesus Christ our Lord. What is it that, that, that changes? Where's the hinge to bring him into this gospel optimism of Romans 8? All things working together for good? It's here. It's in this very thought. I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. That one day I'm going to be perfect. One day I will be free from the very presence of sin. In this ministry there's a prospect. And in this ministry there's also then a proposal. The last part of verse 25. So then with the mind I myself serve the law of God. But with the flesh the law of sin. And so he's, he's finishing off in this struggle by, in a very balanced way, and Paul is a very balanced man when you, when you read him. You read it, the, the scriptures, obviously. And you notice the order. <laughs> With the mind, first of all, I'm, I'm going to serve the law of God. I'm going to respond to God's workings in my life. But at the same time, I'm mindful. I'm mindful of the fact, the last part of verse 25, the flesh, there's still the law of sin. And so he, he makes this proposal, essentially that I'm going to keep fighting. That with the mind, with the mind, I'm, I'm going to give my mind, I'm going to give myself to die daily. 
I'm not giving up on the fight here. And child of God, neither should you. Neither should you. Every day, enter into the arena. Every day, go to war with the old man. As Ephesians 6 tells us, we need to prepare, yes, for that battle. All of those implements and so on. And of course, how do we put them on? We put them on, verse 18, by prayer. Every day you go to battle, you be furnished, you be ready for the battle. But the point is, you're in the arena. Don't get up a day and just think it's not worth it today. God has called you to be holy. He has called you to reflect his holiness in this unholy and impure world. This world needs you to be in the battle. This world needs you to struggle, to war against sin. The church of Christ needs us, needs all of us to go to war with ourselves every single day. And so get into the battle. As Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 49 and 50, again that image of being perfect. As we have borne the image of the earthly, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly. Born the image of the earthly. But one day we're going to bear that full image of the heavenly. I'll finish with this. Sure that we all at least are aware of Pilgrim's Progress, Christian's journey to, to the celestial land. Remember, he he loses his way, doesn't he? He goes to, into Bypath Meadow. And then eventually, after traveling through Bypath Meadow, he ends up in Doubting Castle. That's where Bypath Meadow will take you, by the way, take you to Doubting Castle. But just after that, there's there's nearly like a bit of an interlude, and, and another man appears on the scene for a little while. And this man is called Mr. Valiant for the Truth. And some other friends have, are along with him. And he's seeking to encourage them in the journey. And as these friends find him, they find him all bloodied and all messed up. And he goes on to explain that three thieves had, had come and, and had, had fought him and so on. And, and that was why he was so bloodied and, and left at the roadside. And of course, those three, three, three thieves were the world, the flesh, and the devil. And then he said this to his friends to encourage them. He said, I am going to my father's house. With great difficulty I have gotten hither. My scars and my marks I carry with me as a witness that I have fought his battles. And very soon he will be my rewarder. And folks, that's the Christian life that we all must live. There's going to be scars. There's going to be battles. And yet very soon we're heading. We're heading to an experience where our souls will be free from the presence of sin. And then one day, whenever that day is, the Lord only knows. Our very bodies will be free from the presence of sin. Grappling with our own sinfulness.